0: We're in a series here at Mount Helena on the Word of God, and JR has been leading us in that the last couple of weeks uh, already in 2020. Can you believe it? Halfway through the month of January in 2020, it's just still really weird to me, but here we are, and uh, we're in this series, and we're looking at topics like significance and the authority of the Word of God and uh, relevance, and we're looking at... Uh, discovering eternal truths out of God's Word. And we're asking ourselves questions like, I want to ask you this morning, why should God's Word be the foundation of our life? Why is it that important? Why is it that significant? Why should it have that much authority? Why should it be a foundation of our very life? This morning, we're looking at the initial effects of God's Word. God's Word does have an effect. Do you agree with me? It accomplishes, it says in the Word, what it's sent to do. It does have an effect. And we're going to be looking in the next several weeks at the different effects of God's Word upon our life. What the Word intends to do, what it means to do in our lives. This morning we're just looking at the initial effects, not the long-term effects. I don't think it's possible to list all the effects. Do you? I know I can't list all the effects that God's Word has had on my life and that it's going to continue to have on my life. But this morning, we're looking at the initial effects. Before we do that, I want to maybe stir you a little bit this morning because the author of this psalm, of this book, was very stirred by God's Word. If you would, you could turn to Psalms 119. I'm not going to read all of it, Many of you know it's the longest book of the Bible. It's the has the most verses, 176 verses, so I'm not going to read all of those. But as you read the book of Psalms, and David's just writing about one thing, and how this one thing interacts with his life, and in every, nearly every verse, you can't escape that David is really writing about and referring to the Word of God. The longest... Book, the most verses in a section or a portion of scripture is just about this book right here, about the Word of God. And David's writing about his depression. He's writing about his enemies. He's writing about his best of days, his biggest victories, and he's connecting it all to this, to the Word of God. Would you read with me in in Psalms 119, or you can just listen? He says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. Every verse he's referring to, every verse that I've read so far, he's referring to the word of God in some way. There's seven different words that he's using. Almost in every verse, there's very few verses you can read in Psalms 119 that he's not using the words commands or decrees or laws or precepts or promises, statute, ways, or just calling it the word. And for some of those verses, he uses it twice in the same verse. Continuing in five, he says, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees with an exclamation mark. I'll spare you. I won't yell it or shout it. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. He asked in verse 9, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the ways that come from your mouth, all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. It just continues and it goes on and on. I'm flipping over to 137 in case you think he may weaken later, but you can read Psalms For yourself, I recommend that you do that, Psalms 119, while we're in this series on the word. But David later continues there in 137, he says, You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They're fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. I love that. 140. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I'm lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Your statutes are always righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. David delights In God's Word. Would you agree with me? He delighted in God's Word. No matter what he was going through, he delighted in God's Word. He delighted in God. He enjoyed God. He loved God. It says with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and all of his mind, And one way that I know that David loved God as much as the Bible credits him for loving God is because how much David loved God's Word. How much time he spent in God's word. How much meditation. How near it was to his heart. How it quickened him. Reflected upon the way he valued and cared about God. Can we pray together before we go any further? Father, we just come before you this morning. God, I just lift up your word and acknowledge the authority that it is. Your word is supreme and it is to be the foundation of our hearts but this morning as we spend time in your word and looking at verses in scripture god i ask that you come alive before us god you come alive in our hearts open our hearts and open our minds to see and to understand your word it's more than letters and words on a page god may we be filled with humility and meekness and open mindedness this morning. Make us wise because of your word. Make us as wise or even wiser than David was and a number of his mighty people who served with him because of your word. Open us up this morning. May we receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for doing that with me. Are you all right this morning? All right. All right. A little quiet. I want to stir you if you feel like Making a little noise, you can okay you're permitted you don't have to, but if you 'd like to, you can. Um, <clears throat> so again, uh, the initial effects the practicality of god 's word, its practical effect on us in hebrews verse four or Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve, it says, "For the word of God is alive and powerful god 's word is alive and powerful that word For alive and powerful, I want to look at those two words first. The word "powerful" in the Greek is the word root word that we get in English for energetic. The word of God is energetic. It's full of energy, right? Full of activity, full of motion. It's not static. It's not stale. It's not silent. It's not waiting. It's not just watching. It's powerful. It's full of activity, intensity, and vibrancy. Jesus himself says, the words I speak are spirit and life. They're not just words. They're not just wise saying. They have energy to them. They have unction, ambition, motivation, Their movement themselves. They're not just an Instagram post. (laughs) They have energy. They have connection, not just to the intellect, but to the heart to move things. God's words are not just a historical account, they're not just poetry on paper or sounds released in the air, if we're listening. God's Word's life. God's Word is spirit. God's Word is active, and it's energetic, and it does work effectively for those who are listening, for those who believe it, for those who receive it. And our response matters. Our response to God's Word really does Matter. God's Word is that. God's Word is all those things, but it's also dependent upon our response to it. It says it works effectively in those who believe it. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, We thank God continually because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the Word of God of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Well, what if they did accept it as human word? It would not have worked. If they would have just seen it as words of human, words of man, it would have sounded good, but it wouldn't have had its effect. But Paul's recognizing them and appreciating them for hearing and receiving God's word like it is. It wouldn't have worked. Their response mattered. The manner and the degree to which we receive God's word helps dictate and determine the outcome, the working of God's word in our life. James says it another way. In James 1.21, it says, Therefore put away all filthiness. Ooh, yucky word. Icky. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That, re- that one really sounds bad. I put naughtiness in there. Another version says naughtiness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Rampant wickedness. Little strong. I recently was able to uh, join my oldest daughter and my son in the Nutcracker Ballet this holiday season. And I got to be the father of the naughty girl. Kind of fun. I thought it was more fun than some of the other boring parents on the stage. Right? Giving her my disciplined attention most of the time. But that word naughty, we typically associate with kids, right? With children. Children who misbehave and who don't listen to instruction, don't listen to their parents or to their teachers or to people of authority. And maybe they don't even... Not that they just don't listen, but they talk back. Or they have other replies, and they always got to get in something else, get in the last word, and naughtiness. That's why I put in that word. seemed a little nicer, right? But I think all of us know or have been around some kids who are like that as well as some adults who are like that, right? Who have that sort of attitude and disposition and character, and behave like that. If not before their face, then behind their back. Right? But rampant wickedness isn't necessarily too strong of a word for God. It's how he sees all of it. It's how all can be lumped together. Our attitudes that refuse God's word, that resist God's word, and resist the work, therefore, of God in our life, he would be able to sum up and call it as rampant wickedness, rebellion and resistance against God. I have some naughtiness in me. If you know me very well, you know I'm not just necessarily um, a, a straight arrow. I have some naughtiness in me, some trickery and some fun, and there's fun and element to that, and yet there's parts of ourselves that we just as soon do what Paul says, right? To lay it aside, to set aside. It has to get out of the way for the effectiveness of God's word. There's some of my thinking, there's some of my resistance, there's some of my excuses that just has to be set away for God's word to take effect and to take hold in my life. There's some of my thinking, there's some of the intentions of my heart, there's some of my speech, there's some of the things that I say or things that I really want to say. And the way I really want to say it that has to be put away and make room for God's word in my life to have its initial effect on me i got to put it away. I can't let it stand. It feels comfortable. It feels fun sometimes. It feels loving and kind-hearted. I'm not really serious, but there's a degree of seriousness that's still there that's preventing God's work and His Word in my life from having the effect, the full effect, not just the initial effect, but the full effect that it's supposed to in my life. I've got to put it away. Those words that Paul chooses are reflecting and are representing an attitude of the heart, an attitude of the heart, and that word filthiness is used to describe a perverse delight that is impure. I have some perverse delights that are impure that aren't necessarily good, and sometimes that person inside of me rises up, and I have to to put it away, and sometimes I need help Backing him up and setting him to the side. Paul's encouraging us to do that, that we would receive with meekness. What does that word meekness mean? It means a, a healthy submission to God's word, that we'd actually approach God's word and God's work in our life with a healthy submission, with a sincerity with a fear, with a healthy fear of God. Not a beat-down dog sort of relating to God and that kind of fear, but a healthy fear, a reverence that yields to God's Word and His working, His values, His precepts, His decrees, His laws, His commands in my life. And that kind of reverence brings about an unction a motivation, an aliveness, an activity of a moving work of God in my life. God's word has different effects on different people because it has different hearers. In Hebrews 4.12, it doesn't just say that God's word is alive and powerful. It says near the end of that verse, it says it exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. It distinguishes Two groups of people, two different types of people. This is the initial effect of God. When you first hear God's words, it too is sorting you out and it's sorting out your heart and your motives, your thoughts, your intentions. And according to the word, it's saying that there's there's two groups. There's hearers, there's people who the word becomes alive and powerful and active in and then there's another group, a whole other group. But it says there, In Hebrews, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It exposes the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul describes that division. The revelation or the reality of the division of character that God's word makes, the distinction it makes. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Two groups, right? Two different groups. It's the same message. It's the same word. Different response, different effect, different impact. One causes life, and one doesn't move at all. One is totally stagnant and dismissed as mere foolishness. Two different groups. It doesn't paint much of a picture in between. The one group hears it, and their reactions are summed up as dismissing it as mere foolishness. And to the other group, to the ones who respond in an opposite way, the message becomes the saving power of God experienced in their life what a difference right the initial effect of god's word our response matters before we go on before we look at those effects our response is what brings upon that effect of god's word in our life the first effect i want to look at is faith we know faith comes by what faith comes by hearing God's word, then what? Let's look at it. Romans ten seventeen. it says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God, the word of Christ, right? So there's the word in the beginning. Three things here. There's the word to begin with, and then we got to hear it somehow needs to be heard in our hearts and our minds and our soul and our spirit that might be through reading that might be through someone speaking that might be listening to it on your phone that may be spent in a devotional time but somehow we got to hear it just the well we may be spending that time and we may be listening to it but we still may not be what hearing it hearing it letting it soak into our soul and engage our soul and our spirit so it becomes active and it becomes powerful. God's Word is what all of this began with. In the beginning, there was the Word. And the Word became alive and active. And God wants a soul interaction with God's Word. He wants us to hear His Word, not just with our ears, but in our soul and in our spirit in an active sort of way. God's word in and of itself doesn't just produce faith. There are plenty of people, again, there's two groups, there's plenty of people who hear God's word, who hear maybe the same word that you've heard before, and it doesn't have an effect. Our response, our engagement with God, our engagement with the word of God on a soul level, on a spirit level, in our hearts and in our minds, in the changing of our behaviors, activates God's word. Hearing can be described as an attitude of aroused interest and attention. A sincere desire to receive and to understand the message. That kind of hearing develops faith, doesn't it? Engages faith. And faith has an effect on our life. Generally, society uses the word faith in a much different sort of way, in a very loose sort of context In a very free sort of way, we speak of having faith in a doctor or faith in medical advancements or even faith or trust in a system or no longer having faith in something, no longer having faith in politics or in media or in our education system. But spiritual faith is different. Scriptural faith is believing that God means what he says in his word believing that God will do what he has promised in his word to do in my life david is an example again in scripture in first chronicles david engages in his heart he hears something of god and he engages it as a soul level at a spiritual level and it has a difference and an impact. First Chronicles seventeen twenty three says, "And now, O Lord, let your word, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant, and concerning his house, be established forever. Catch this, and do as you have said. Do you hear that? There's there's faith. There's an engagement there. There's a hearing." And not just putting a responsibility on God, but he is, there's a healthy submission. Do, five words, do as you have said. There's a faith engagement there. I like that. Do you like that? It's awesome. Mary, likewise, could have had a whole list of excuses and reasons why not. But she had four words. In Luke chapter 1, Verse 38, Gabriel, the angel from heaven, archangel from heaven visits her and he delivers a message to her from the throne of God. God's word he delivers to her and Mary's response is this, let it be to me according to your word. What a submission. What a willingness. Scriptural faith is produced within the soul by hearing God's word. Expressing an active response of claiming its fulfillment in your life. Faith is the initial effect or the first effect that I brought before us because it's absolutely necessary for any sort of transaction, any sort of relationship with God to begin. It has to begin with faith. Not just a knowledge level, not in an intellect, but in a heart, in a soul sort of way. Faith has to take root. When faith takes root, it brings on its fullness and its fruition. We know without faith it's impossible to please God in Hebrews 11.6 because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly Seek him. If faith is the essential effect, then the next initial effect is is the new birth, is to become born again. It's the next initial effect. There may be faith beginning and taking root and it's starting, but the next effect is to be born again. Nicodemus is in one of those situations and it's actually that he hasn't been around church, if you will, For a little while, he's been around it a long time. He's a Pharisee and he's a religious ruler and has responsibility and he's been taught up in a lot of things. But a term that Jesus uses in John 3, 3 in his interaction with Jesus is unfamiliar to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus asks a series of questions and it turns into this story, but it started with Jesus saying to Nicodemus, truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God Unless they are born again. There's things that Nicodemus doesn't understand. And Jesus is pointing out the reason why he doesn't understand. Because he has to be born again. He has to experience a new birth process. A soul and a spirit sort of process and relationship with God has to begin. It can't just be studied. It can't be just learned. It can't be just passed on. There has to be an engagement with God at a soul level, at a spirit level. So that's where we get that born again in term. And Jesus describes that process in a roundabout sort of way to Nicodemus, but I believe Nicodemus got it. He understood it, and he knew what that, he come to know what that was. In 1 Peter one twenty three, that process is connected and credited to the word of God. It says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the enduring word of God. Because of the living, the active, enduring word of God, we can be born again. We can experience a new birth and a new regeneration. And that process creates a new man, a new person, a new nature inside of us. It doesn't just get rid of one, it creates a contrasting nature inside of us, a contrasting person, and Paul in his writings describes that as the old man and the new man. It's a spiritual process that creates that inside of us, and there is as contrasting one to another as black is to white. No, more than that. One has a sinful nature, and yet the other one cannot sin. Doesn't mean that the believer, the person with whom new birth has regenerated inside of, it doesn't mean that that person cannot sin, but that nature, that new man, cannot sin. But the person who hasn't experienced that new birth, that new generation, they can't help but sin. They can't help but. Be entangled and involved in sinful nature. But the person who that new process, that new nature, that new man is alive in, it's possible for them to live a life of victory over sin. It's possible. It can happen. And so the sum effect, the sum result is a life that's lived with the contrast of those two people who's on the throne, who's in control who at what time, and any one of us, all of us, who have that new man and that new person living inside of us and ruling inside of us knows that he can give way to the old man, right? To the old nature, to the old person. Every single one of us. Every person who walks the face of the earth is battling with at least one of those men, with one of those natures. I hope you and I I hope for you and I alike we're both battling with those two. With the old man and the new man. And we will as long as we're here. As long as we're here, there'll be a battle, there'll be an engagement. One is corrupt, one is perverse. The other one is righteous and is holy. With that new birth and the new nature of God's likeness and that seed that's made to be like the seed of faith that was deposited inside of us, right? If you plant a seed, let's say a corn seed, if you plant a corn seed, what do you expect the result's going to be? What will the result be? Apples? It'll be corn, right? Right? Likewise, in the end, that seed that's planted in you and I that he's talking about is not perishable, it's imperishable. And it's going to produce what in me? It's going to produce imperishable reproduction, imperishable growth, an eternal nature inside of me. It's going to accomplish what it's set out to do. And with that new birth, what's needed? The last one, the last effect that I'm going to talk about this morning is spiritual nourishment. With new birth, nourishment is needed. We all know with a human baby, as soon as a human baby is born, they're all about assessing how healthy that child is, right? How healthy do they look? How healthy are they? We need to get blood drawn we need to test that we're taking measurements we're assessing visually we're assessing inside outside how is this child but it doesn't matter how healthy the child is initially they have to have nourishment or they won't survive they won't make it their growth will be stunted they're at the risk of death without immediate nourishment and the same happens spiritually Many have good intentions. Many have good moments and yet don't receive the spiritual nourishment that's needed, that's provided in God's Word. The, God's Word is meant to have an initial effect, an immediate effect upon us. As soon as we have that new birth and that new generation, regeneration inside of us, as soon as that new man, new person, new nature is created inside of us, we need the Word of God, right? Right? We need the Word of God to take root in our life or we venture letting it die out and wither away. We require spiritual nourishment to maintain life and to promote growth. We need the Word of God to maintain and to grow. And God's Word is so rich and it's so varied and it's so deep that it has the milk that the new babies need It has that colostrum that the new creation needs and it has all the vitamins, all the Metamucil that the old people need, right? And everything in between. It has it all. It has it all, but we have to be in it. We have to engage it. It has to reach us. We have to hear it in our hearts, in our souls, in our mind. And it has to take shape in our life and in our actions. Peter has spoke of that imperishable seed in in chapter 1, and he's going on about what that seed's like and what that root's like. And in chapter 2, he moves on, and he says in verses 1 and 2, it says, Then, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. Like babies, we need to get rid of these things. When the new birth and a new generation happens inside of us, what do we know about the nature of milk? Does it last very long on whatever sort of conditions? It'll spoil. It'll go rotten, right? It gets rancid, nasty. I don't know if you're like me, but I just want to slap myself sometimes. When I suspect milk has gone bad, are you like me? Do you have to check it? I, I, I just do. Not taste it. I don't mean that. But you smell it, right? And it's just, it's just bad. It's horrible. There's no smell like that smell. Our refrigerator here at the office gets that way sometimes. Maybe your office is the same. We bring things in, have the best of intentions of getting to it. I have a couple other free lunches that come along the way and you've left something in there too long. It looks suspect, but i got to check it. Why? Why? Same sort of thing. God's saying, don't check it. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. All malice and deceit and hypocrisy. Any of you have that before you came to Christ? Any of you have envy, hypocrisy, or deceit in your heart? Without the work of Christ, I know I did, and I still do at times. And it has to go. To get the nourishment, to get the healthy stuff, to get the good stuff, I've got to get those preventatives out of the way. I've got to make room for the good stuff. The pure spiritual milk is only the Word of God. And He doesn't want us to be in infancy very long. He doesn't want us to be drinking the best stuff for now isn't going to be the best stuff for later. We're going to have to get more and reach in deeper and find a different way to get the things that we need to get. Isn't that the story of our life as well? Right? Children's, children to adults. Sometimes I want to see an old man, an old person that drinks as much muscle milk as some of the 20-year-olds do these days, right? It's just not going to have the same effect. It's not the same sort of thing. You have to find a different way. What's healthy for a 20-year-old isn't necessarily going to provide the nourishment, the nutrition that the 70- and the 80-year-old, that their body needs, that their soul and their spirit needs. God's words, substantial, It's the main item. It's the necessary item or main course of our life. Jesus says that as well when he says in Matthew 4.4, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is that necessary. That source of strength in our diet and our spiritual diet. Those are initial effects of God's Word, but there's so many more. There's so much more depth. We're going to keep looking at that in the successive weeks, but as we close, I want to say it's impossible to overemphasize the importance of God's Word in our life. It's just not possible to take God's Word too seriously, to spend too much time in it, when it's an engagement level of our soul and our spirit with God. It's not a waste of your time. There's a lot of pull on our time. There's a lot of ways we can spend our time. There's a lot of ways you can hear God's word that you can listen to God's word. And yet, there's one way we have to engage God ourselves. We can't just listen to someone else engage God's word. In a great message, in a great video, in a great preaching or a great teaching or a great book, we have to take God to our own heart. God's Word is the medium through which Christ manifests Himself to you and I. It's the way the Father and the Son come and make a home in our life. By the Word of God. Let me finish it with a few statements here. Your attitude toward God's Word is your attitude towards God Himself. I cannot love God more than I love His Word. If I don't have a love of God's Word, I'm missing some of God's intended love for Him. I can't obey God more than I obey His Word. I can't honor God more than His Word has honor in my life. I can't have more room in my heart And more room in my life for God than I have for his word in my life and in my heart. Derek Prince, let me finish with a quote from him. Derek Prince wrote in the Spirit-Filled Believers Handbook, he says, Do you want to know how much God means to you? Just ask yourself, how much does God's word mean to me? The answer to the second question is the answer also to the first question. God means as much to you as his word means to you, just that much and no more. It's kind of like looking in a mirror isn't it? Wow, can we pray together father i thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is sent out in an alive and an active and a powerful sort of way. Thank you that your word it's pursued me, God. Thank you that even as a little boy, your love pursued me in a jealous sort of way. And that, God, it's your word that opened my heart and opened my eyes, my heart of bitterness and resentment and hurt. God, you opened it in a way that could receive love and receive forgiveness. And I thank you that even as a little boy, you dissipated the lonely feelings that I had of abandonment and isolation and abuse, that God, You and Your Word pierce that with forgiveness and mercy and with feeling that I was never alone again, that You were always with me. and You still are. Your Word still pursues my life, and You want more. God, thank You for opening Your Word to us this morning. I pray that each one of us would receive Your Word like Paul in meekness and in submission, but in activity and engagement and motivation with you. God, open your word in our lives. Make our lives come open. Open our schedules, God. Open our schedules to spend more time with you. Open our mornings and our evenings. Open our hearts to engage and believe your word like David. Do as your word has said. Do just what you've spoken in my life lead us lead our ambitions lead our hearts to match up with your word In jesus name amen